Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Your laziness is a gift. Everything that has improved the human condition, it came from laziness. I don't want to do that. Let's find a better way. The reality is that if you test it, working hard is not getting results. Working smart gets results. Hey friends, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I have a treat for you. We have Dave Asprey on the show for his second appearance. This time we are talking about his new book, Smarter, Not Harder. In case you have not heard of Dave, he's a founder of Upgrade Labs. He is known as the father of biohacking, the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, uh, host of the Webby Award winning Human Upgrade podcast, four times New York bestselling, soon to be five times New York Times bestselling author. And today, as I mentioned, smarter, not harder. So we talked about all manner of things, uh, animal proteins, compounds in plants that slow us down, how to exercise smarter, how to do both weight training and cardio smarter. Um, what are some of the things that we do need to be optimized, optimizing our health, our longevity, brain health, strength, power, cardiovascular output. And then we end talking about some of the ways that we can be smarter spiritually and emotionally, how we can tend to the weeds in our own garden. Very robust conversation. This is going to be applicable to men and women worldwide. I feel like there's a lot of applicable information here for both men and women without really ch changing a lot of it based on, let's say, female-centric or male-centric uh, protocols. There's a lot of basic foundational work here for both men and women to do. I hope that you will enjoy this conversation and as much as I did. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dave Asprey. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovering health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a 
a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Dave Asprey, friend, it's very, it's my pleasure to welcome you back onto The Better Show. Welcome. Stephanie, thanks for having me back. I want to start, I want to get right into it. And I want to ask you about your opinion on the difference between animal proteins and plant proteins. And I'll give you a bit of a preamble on this. I am currently trying to sort out the literature on plant proteins. And my the premise that I've always held around animal proteins is that they are superior to plant proteins because it's a full complement of amino acids. They're more bioavailable. You don't need to consume more calories in order to sort of get that minimum amount of, uh, say, leucine and isoleucine to, to drive uh, MPS. But there was a recent study, and I was t- telling you this before we got started, um, which maybe I'll explain to you uh, in a moment. But I wanted to, I wanted to give you the opportunity and to explore your thinking around the difference between animal proteins versus plant proteins. In your opinion, the literature that you've seen, the experiences that you've had, which do you think, if there is one, is superior and why? Plant-based protein is nonsense. There, I'm done. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Here's what's going on. Plant-based protein is an ultra-processed product. It has to be because it comes packaged with enormous amounts of carbohydrates. If you're going to get plant-based protein by eating beans and rice, you're going to get hundreds of grams of carbs. And the amount of those you'd have to eat in order to get protein sufficiency is unreasonable. And you would look like Buddha if you did that with the large belly. With the belly, yeah. yeah. That's just what happens. So- What else is going on there? Oh, (laughs) are there enzyme inhibitors in plant-based proteins? Yes. Why are they there? See, plants 
don't want us to eat especially their babies. And going back as far back as a dozen years ago, when I published the Bulletproof Diet, which people are still using, people have lost a couple million pounds on it. First chapter, I talk about that and I talk about um, phytate and how it's sucking minerals out of the body, but having trypsin uh, in there or trypsin inhibitors uh, means that you just simply can't digest the protein. Most plant proteins are not there to be food. Plant proteins are there as building blocks or as even defense chemicals uh, like lectins. Lectins are not in plants because they help the plants grow. They're there in those plants because they help the plant avoid uh, predation. So when you go through and you say, oh, I'm just going to eat all this plant-based protein, why was it in the plant and what did it come with? What you end up realizing is that that's weird. I could do an ultra-processed thing. When we're talking a lot of steps to get all this stuff out, you can take you know moldy broccoli or corn and you can throw in acid and process it into textured vegetable protein and get something that comes out pretty much straight MSG, but you make it 74% MSG so you don't have to label it that way and people eat it and they're like, this is so good, I have to have more. And then you get hypoglycemia from it. What, what we've done with petroleum is you can take petroleum and torture it until it becomes a pharmaceutical. You can take any kind of plant and torture it enough until it becomes some sort of chemical thing. And then you can call it a plant-based food. Whether or not it has protein in it doesn't matter because we could talk about sarin, the nerve gas. That is a plant-based protein from jack beans. It'll kill you instantly. You could use China study logic and say, therefore, all plant-based proteins will kill you and you should never touch one, which would be nonsense. You could also say, well, snake venom will kill you, therefore, don't eat any animal protein. So let's stop worrying about plant versus animal and worry about what it does. The lowest level, you can look at proteins as an assembly of amino acids. For listeners, I know that you know this, Stephanie, but for listeners, you can look at, these are the letters that you would use to assemble into, into words that you assemble into proteins. So if an amino acid is the lowest level unit, it's a letter, you stick those together and you have a word, that's a peptide. And you stick a bunch of peptides together, you have a sentence or a paragraph and that's a protein. And then you add in some nominal amounts of carbohydrate and minerals and structure and all this stuff, and then you get a steak. So when people say that plant-based proteins are the same as animal-based proteins, they're ignoring all the inhibitors, they're ignoring, they're ignoring phytate, but more importantly, they're ignoring the fact that protein isn't just amino acids assembled. Protein is actually, it, it's a sentence. It's an instruction to your body. So you have to look at what do the peptides, the dipeptides, the tripeptides, the polypeptides, what signaling effect do those have on the body? Oh, it looks like plants don't make any of those. So if, if protein is a signaling molecule, animal-based protein does something different than plant-based protein, irrespective of the amino acid profile and the toxin profile, which is inferior for plant-based proteins. Any decent uh, biochemist can take a bunch of plants, torture them until they deliver enough amino acids. Now, hold on, I have to use that language. You could torture the plant carcasses until... <laughs> there, I've triggered all of your vegan followers. Oh, no. uh, For the two vegans that were still listening, they've just exactly. You off. Yeah, uh, but yeah. You, I mean, you can take plants, you can do whatever you want to to the plants, and you can get amino acids and put the amino acids out there and say there is a complete amino acid formula. Your body will absorb those amino acids, and you have things like perfect aminos that do that. 
And that doesn't do the same thing as eating collagen protein. And you know, I'm the guy who made collagen a billion-dollar industry category. And the reason collagen works is because the dye and tripeptides in collagen signal the body to do things that the individual amino acids don't. So a collagen tripeptide, that just means like there's three amino acids stuck together. It does something different than just taking glycine and proline. So what's going on here is that the big food industry used to tell us a calorie is a calorie. So that was an excuse to sell you corn syrup. Now they've realized if they can tell you a protein is a, is a protein, it's an excuse to sell you gluten, which is a plant-based protein, and to tell you it's healthy. There are paleo cookies made out of gluten because they're high protein. It doesn't matter if something is high protein or something is high calorie. What is it made of? And protein is not a granular enough thing to tell you what's going on in there. That's my perspective on it. You know, I appreciate your perspective because I think it is a bit more of a vitalistic or a holistic viewpoint versus more of the mechanistic studies that we see in the literature. And the, the reason why I wanted to start with this, and I was mentioning this to you in the preamble before we before we got going, was there was a study Brad, Schoen, uh, Brad Schoenfield had posted maybe a week or two ago uh, at the time of this recording anyway, and there were two groups uh, both had some weight training uh, experience. One was exclusively fed uh, animal proteins. The other exclusively fed plant proteins. And at the end of 10 weeks, which you can argue 10 weeks is not a long time for looking at um, muscle hypertrophy, they essentially found no significant difference between the two. Now you had uh, individuals like Simon Hill, who um, I've actually been having some, I slid into his DMs, you can say, because he, <laughs> he, he commented on, I actually had a Ben Bickman on my show a couple of weeks ago, and he said the same thing that you did that. Um, I like Ben. He's good. Yeah, he's great. Like animal proteins based on his review of the literature are superior to plant proteins. And Simon had commented on that post on Instagram. And I said, Simon, come on the show. Like, please explain your position because I want to understand how you can train two groups. Now, I think that there's also a huge confounding variable in that both groups got creatine, which is a very uh, abundant, like, you know, when you look at animal-based protein, it's very abundant it, in creatine. Uh, creatine oh, is very hold abundant. on. So, Stephanie, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't do that. You have to be very isolated. The fact that you got all these other things in meat that right. weren't protein, you have to ignore those to make any right. argument that they're similar. Because, yeah, you got creatine in the meat. You got all the minerals in the meat yeah. that yeah. were bound. To, th to, to look at it from an amino acid perspective is putting on blinders. Right. And I think that's where you're going with it. But yeah, thank you for saying that. Uh, creatine would change everything. It would, ch it would change everything because creatine is not abundantly found. I mean, I know it's found in sort of smaller amounts, but not abundantly found in plant products. So I think that they need to redo the study. But you had the Simon Hills, let's say, saying, see, you can choose whatever protein you want and it doesn't matter. And it sort of had my head in a spin. I was like, am I wrong on this? Like, I, I, I really have to no. look and and speak. So I'm, 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 I wanted to ask you about it because it is top of my mind in terms of what I'm currently trying to dig through and sort through. But let's put it this way. You are made out of animal protein. You are not made out of plant protein and your body does take what you bring in and use it both as a fuel source and as a source of building blocks. What's packaged with meat is a ton of minerals all the signaling molecules that come in meat that don't come in plant proteins and things like creatine. So 
if you were to want to build a red meat cell, which is what your cells are, you would want all of the things, all of the little cofactors, all of the things we may not have even identified yet. Some odd chain fatty acid that's in the cell membrane. There are things like that. Your body is going to use all of that. And your body is not going to use corn protein the same way. And, and that's actually a very important point. We don't know everything about the body, not by a long shot. And we're knowing more and more every day. And AI is letting us look at outcomes. So in computer hacking, which is my background before I started the biohacking movement, it's about a black box, which means I don't know what's in there, but I'm going to change it. So you, you test what the inputs are and you test what the outputs are, and you don't have to know how everything works. But in academic science and the kind of stuff that you'll see guys like Brad and some of the, the, the more angry, strident calorie or protein, like low, low carb, like there's just this like endless swirl of anger in, in some of that, that stuff online. Um, what you find is they're not looking at the holistic black box view of humans at all. They're saying it has to be this because I know everything about the pathways. Dude, you do not know everything about pathways. I don't care about what your PhDs are. It's a system. And we don't know how to predict weather very well yet. That's a system too. And your body is more like weather than it is like a meat robot. So when you put meat into a meat robot, if we were all the same, it wouldn't work. But your protein needs are different than mine. You might do better on chicken than red meat or something. So what I think you can say, though, is that all of the cofactors that come with animal protein, including dairy protein, they are so necessary for life that if you take someone and say, well, I'm going to strip everything out and just give you amino acids, you probably will do just fine for a little while. And over time, you will get old and weak and you won't have the zinc or the copper or you'll have the form of copper you can't absorb or you got trypsin or even looking at plant-based proteins, IgGs are important when you get those in proteins. In fact, if I was forced to eat plant protein as a source of protein, I would choose defatted hemp protein because of its IgG content. So that's what I guide my, my vegan followers. And actually I have a surprising number of them, even though I tease them mercilessly, it's not done out of like hate or anything. It's like, Hey, I was a raw vegan for a long time and until it made me really sick. So I'm like, you're not going to get your minerals. You're not going to get your IgGs. You're not going to get the things that make thriving humans from plant protein. It is peasant food. It is peasant food. Yeah, that's a, well, I mean, this, this is part of the conversation that you're having in your new book, Smarter, Not Harder. You're talking about yeah. the animal uh, versus plant proteins we're talking about. And there's a big- It's only one chapter. It's, a, <laughs> it's one yeah, of I do. many. Smarter, Not Harder is the book. <laughs> Smarter, Not Harder. And you talk about, and I think this maybe is a good um, sort of door opening, if you will, to go into some of the foods that we do find, or even some of the compounds that slow us down. Because the whole premise of the book is that that we are, uh, and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll let you explain this a little bit um, better than I can, but this idea that our bodies are inherently, there's a through line of laziness, that we don't want to work harder, we want to work, uh, we're going to always put in oh, the minimum man. effective dose to sort of stay alive and not get killed. So maybe speak a little bit about the through line of the book, and then we can maybe wade, you know, weed our way into lectins and phytic acid and oxalates. Is it okay for me to trigger the... Um the like the bodybuilder community when I do this? <laughs> you sure can. Go for it. Okay. I mean, they're especially the vegan bodybuilder community, like because there's four of those and, and they're just very loud, but there aren't very many of them because it doesn't work. There, I triggered some of them. All right. Here's 
Sorry, guys, if you're listening, I have fun with you all the time. Um, what's going on inside Smarter Not Harder is I looked at the history of exercise and there's only two things we've ever done. One of them is you run away from tigers or you could run after them if you're hunting them. And the other one is you pick up rocks. And then a while ago, someone said, what if we concentrate the rocks into iron plates? And that's what we do. And there's been a few little innovations since then, but most people still believe, especially like the people who are starving all the time because they're counting calories and think that it's calories in, calories out still. They're like, if I just work hard enough, I'll get results. So I believe this once too. When I weighed 300 pounds, I went to the gym for 702 hours. I did 90 minutes a day, six days a week for 18 months. I went on a low fat, low calorie diet. I was actually vegetarian for a portion of that time. At the end of that time, I still had a 46 inch waist and I still weighed 300 pounds and I could max out all but two of the machines at the gym. So clearly I wasn't working hard enough. According to the logic that we all think about. So I wrote Smarter Not Harder kind of to get even with that because here's how it really works. You've got to pick a goal and you've got to get a signal into the body to create change. We believe, because our bodies are, are inherently lazy, that the way to get results is to overcome the laziness through force. And it turns out that's the hard way. There is a smarter way. That's why it's called smarter, not harder. And by the way, this really pisses off people who spend an hour a day in the gym because it's part of their self-identity. It's like I've attacked their mother. Guys, I'm not attacking your mother. I'm trying to give you an hour a day back and the muscles you have now because that would be worth it. And then maybe you could do something like meditate or some kind of therapy for the chronic anger you've generated by undernourishing and overtraining because that's called cortisol. And that's why the online forums, in large part, when you get into these calorie counting things, they're a cesspool of anger and trauma and body Worst image issues for men. Worst it, neighborhood on the planet. Yeah, is, I, yeah. I don't hang out there anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's no point to it. And there's not a lot of self-inquiry there. So smarter, not harder. I'm like, okay. I opened a facility eight years ago underneath Arnold Schwarzenegger's office, the first biohacking facility on the planet. And it spawned a movement. Um, it's part of biohacking, but there's lots of little mom and pop places thinking that, okay, what if we have this technology that just works better than picking up iron? I like weightlifting. I have no problems with it. I just don't have time for it a lot of the time. So I'm like, okay, what's going to give me muscles in the least possible amount of time? So if your goal, there's five goals from Upgrade Labs that people come in with. There's some of them I want muscle. Some of them I want to get my energy back and I want to lose some weight. Those usually go together. If you have extra weight, you have less energy. And then some people say, I really wanted my, um, I want my cardio back. I'd, I'd like that to work. Some people want their brain to work again. And some people just want to manage stress better. In fact, more people are asking for stress management than weight loss for the first time in history. Thank you, government, for all the stupid stuff you've done over the last couple of years. So you got to pick a goal. And then there's a chapter in Smarter Not Harder for each of those goals. So you can go in and say, all right, I want to put muscle on. There's ways to do it. But cardio is maybe one of the best examples. People who lift a lot generally don't like cardio and they do it because maybe it's going to lose fat or something. I think that's the myth. <laughs> I don't think cardio is particularly good for that. Uh, there's many, many other ways to do it. But what you can do is you can send a signal into the body. Just like we said, different proteins are different signals. Well, a short 20 second sprint at full speed, like you're going to die, 
followed by deep breathing and meditation. You do two of those over the course of five minutes. Do that three times a week. You'll get a 12% improvement in your VO2 max, which is a really good improvement. If you were to do an hour of spin class every day, you know, burn more calories to earn more potato chips, that kind of a thing, that's going to get you a 2% improvement. So 15 minutes a week versus five hours a week. 15 minutes gives you six times more VO2 max. This should be impossible because we all know that more time on the treadmill, working harder is what gets results. This is proof. And there's two studies from the University of Colorado about this. We use that tech inside Upgrade Labs. And I'm opening dozens of these franchises across the country. And I, I compare that to the $400 million of ghost gym memberships where people never go. They spend that every year because the gym doesn't work very well. And you can get people who have such body image things, or maybe they were bullied and they just never felt safe. So they're finally going to have enough muscle to be safe or whatever is going on in there where like their identity is that. And I hate to tell you, you might want to identify as someone who's nice or kind or helping your community or constantly improving. Yes, going to the gym is important. Yes, having physical fitness so you can show up in your brain, in your life. But if you spend 12 hours a week doing that, you're not meditating. You're not parenting. You're not doing something that might matter more. So the idea behind Smarter Not Harder is, look, for any of these five goals, whether you want a better brain, whether you want a better butt, it doesn't matter. There is a technology or a technique or knowledge that causes that to happen faster in less time. So the muscle technologies in there get three to five times faster than picking up plates under the force of gravity. The cardio is at least six times better, not even counting on a per minute basis. And then you look at the brain stuff. What do you do to make your brain better? And the idea here is you are a hard worker because of your brain. That part of your brain that wants to work hard, if it's given the tools, it can do 10 times as much. But instead, what we do is we, we believe that hard work is the key. The reason we believe that is that there's what I call the meat operating system in the book. And your meat operating system has a third of a second to do something before you get to see it. And it's the thing that makes the couch look really sexy and it makes the gym look really unattractive. So you know consciously that the gym is, is better and then you're frustrated and you feel actually like a failure because your body's telling you that the gym is bad. Dude, your body's not dumb. This algorithm of spend less energy in case you run out, that's kept every animal alive for 2 billion years. It's intrinsic to you. Your laziness is a gift. Your laziness is why we have cars instead of walking everywhere. Your laziness is why everything that has improved the human condition, it came from laziness. I don't want to do that. Let's find a better way. Smart not hard is just adding on to that. Hey, I don't want to go to the gym. I'm willing to do it if I have to. I don't have to. Or if I do, I'm going to go to Upgrade Labs or I'm going to use the technology that's in the book and I'm going to get it done in less time, which means I can do something I enjoy more. And, I, and people don't like that sometimes. But that's that's the idea behind it. None of us has enough time to do all the stuff we're supposed to do. It's because your body's lazy, and there's ways to even motivate yourself with that.
And I, I think that for so many people, I hear this all the time, that health often feels so overwhelming. Like, what am I, where am I supposed to start? Is it the weights? Is it the cardio? Is it the meditation? Am I supposed to be a better parent and read this book and that book? And listen, I'm all, if you're watching this on, uh, on YouTube, you'll like, I have, you know, like I have my nice nails on the side, but if you look here, I have like these battery acid from all the weights that I'm lifting these, all of these, um, you know, uh, rough roughenings that, ha- that have happened over time from lifting heavy weights. So I'm all about it. And in, in the book, you talk about some of the AI controlled, um, exercise machines. And I wanted to just double click on that for a moment because sure. it was, it was so interesting to me because the idea around this is that you're overcoming, uh, your, your, proprioceptors or your proprioception, which is essentially your sixth sense or your unconscious sense. Can you talk a little bit about how these machines are able to supersede the, um, our proprioception? Yeah. So some people when they hear sixth sense, they're thinking more of like energetic intuition and things like that. It's not that sixth sense. It's the idea that your body has its own consciousness and it knows where it is in space. So if you're going to go catch a baseball your hand has a dumb little, but very fast consciousness that kind of knows where it is. So you can reach up and grab it, but you're not doing it with your conscious thought. You're not doing it all with the brain. You're doing it where basically the brain imagines you catching the ball and then the hand's like, Oh, I got this. And then the hand goes and does it. So there's a distributed intelligence throughout the body. It's actually very elegant and kind of scary because it means that your hand has its own consciousness. Each cell has its own consciousness, but as you get smaller and smaller, the dumber and dumber they are, but they're all very fast. So there's a system that's not in your brain that's controlling, say, when you're doing a bench press, right? Uh, You're doing that and it's monitoring your shoulders. So your shoulders have their own little consciousness, this proprioception and some other stuff in there. And they're saying, how much can I lift? And you're pushing, but then because you're pushing against gravity, gravity accelerates at 9.8 meters per second squared, which means when you wobble a little bit, the bar is heavier. Now your proprioceptors feel the wobble and they go, oh man, I can't lift anymore because the wobble might be a big wobble and then I would get injured. And my job as a shoulder is to not be injured, irrespective of whoever's in the brain. It doesn't know and it doesn't care that you're in there. All it knows is its job is to not be injured. Its job is not to push as much as possible. And the whole mental side of of weightlifting is the mind over the body. You're going to push. You're going to do it. Well, what if instead of using effort and willpower to do that, you change the inputs to the proprioceptors. Since they're expecting gravity and they're very well adapted to telling you exactly how much you can't push because it might wobble, you could sit down on the AI machine at Upgrade Labs, which is integrated with all the other tech that we do, uh, and you can push, but you're pushing against something that will never wobble because there is no gravity. You're pushing against a computer-controlled winch. And when that happens, if If you wobble or if you fail a little bit, instead of the weight falling back towards you, it just keeps moving. It's almost like an isometric exercise. And when you do that, you put muscles on really, really quickly because you're able to load the muscle far beyond what you could do with a normal normal bar. As an example, right when I was first opening Upgrade Labs about eight years ago, I did a belt squat with 1,600 pounds. I saw your eyebrows go up, right? You can't do that with gravity because you would destroy your legs as it is. I destroyed, I had like a pair of Oakley combat boots on and they were forever useless. Like literally the soles flattened out. (laughs) Right. Right. But 
so does this mean I'm more powerful than everyone else? No, it means I could do 1600 pounds without gravity because I didn't have to worry about wobbling. Because if you have 1600 pounds and you shake a little bit, it's going to weigh 3,200 pounds and you're going to go to the hospital. Right. Right. Yes, I was sore for a week. <laughs> but the idea here is you can do it. I even invited Mark Bell, who's one of the top five powerlifters in the world and just a really cool guy. He came up to my prototype lab on Vancouver Island uh, when I still live there. And I put him on the machine. And after five, I don't remember how much weight he did. It was insane. But five of these things, he's like, what did you just do to my chest? Like, what the heck? Right? Because you can load the body differently. And when you load it quickly and then relax, that's when the change happens. And this is the other thing that's missing from the conversation. And this is a new concept. I think you'll like this one too. It's, it's in Smarter Not Harder. And I call it slope of the curve biology. And it's something I've been noticing over time. We went from spin classes to high intensity interval training. And from there in the book, I talk about rehit, which is even lower intensity, but works better. If you do three 20 second intervals, it works worse than two 20 second intervals. You have to get the right amount. What drives change in the body is a very sudden onset stressor followed by a very sudden turning off of the stress. So if you can return to normal breathing, normal heart rate, and a peaceful state, the body will change quickly. So what you must do is load the body when it has full access to minerals, you know, from animal proteins and proteins, you know, from animal proteins. So you load the body quickly. And as soon as you're done, you stop and you just chill. And Frank Zane is one of the guys who inspired me on this. This is a Mr. Olympia, first generation bodybuilder guy. I interviewed him a couple of years ago on my show and he plays the flute and he spends two hours a day meditating and his whole career of bodybuilding wasn't just lifting stuff. It was lifting stuff and then relaxing when the body feels safe after it had a signal safety plus nutrients equals growth and transformation and evolution and lack of nutrients or overtraining or even just training for a long period of time and then going to work right away. You don't get the benefits. So it turns out speed up, of the input and speed off of the input. That's what drives growth, not the duration of the work, not how hard it was, how quick it was. So with this knowledge, you can change your brain. You can change your stress response. You can change your cardio. You can change almost anything in the body. And slope of the curve biology holds true for everything I can find except for zone two cardio, which I don't do because it takes 90 minutes a week and I have a life. Um, but I, I recognize it would probably be good to do it. I just don't care that much. I like to pretend that my weights are zone two cardio. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's, <laughs> I, I, I like to pretend, I, at least that's what I tell myself. Well, I, I love, I love that because the, um, particularly coming back to the weights for a minute, um, I have, there is sort of an upper limit. Like whenever you're thinking about progressive overload or progressing in the gym, let's say you can't continually add weights to infinity. At some point you have to change volume, you have to change set number, you have to, there's all of these different things where you are starting to see time creep up in the gym. And while I very much enjoy it, I would also be very interested in finding an upgrade labs. If there is there, I don't think there is one in Toronto, Canada. Well, yet, actually but, I'm talking to several people about that. You can go to own and upgrade labs.com and open one. It's a franchise. We're opening dozens of them across the U S and Canada. Okay. So Toronto's definitely on the list. In fact, the last guy I talked to there was talking about doing nine of them there, but okay. I, we haven't, we haven't closed that yet. So you should open one. 
All right. Well, we, we, maybe we'll have a, a conversation <laughs> after the podcast, but I, I love, I love that because when you do allow for, when you can uh, go beyond, let's say the proprioceptors, like you're, as you were mentioning before, they are directly wired into the nervous system. So you wobble, as you were saying, you're going to get a stretch. Like if you overstretch, you know, these are, these are, um, proprioception is sort of built into the myotendinous junction, Golgi tendon organs and spindles and whatnot that gets up to your brain. Like if you wobble a little bit, as you were, as you were mentioning it, they, those afferents up to the brain are like 40 meters a sec, something crazy like that, like 40, 60 meters a second. It's already in the brain and there's a descending, like shut this down, yep. like rebound. And then, and then that's where the injury, you know, you may be able to finish the set, but then afterwards you're like, Oh man, like my sh- that was a, that was a weird one. Right. And then you're out of the gym for however many weeks. So I, I've I do done, think- I've done that so many times when I used to lift heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cardio is also really interesting. So I um, used to be uh, the way that I actually paid for my uh, chiropractic school was being a fitness instructor. So I was like the step queen and high low and tie bow and all that. Did you have like a leotard and leg warmers? I didn't. No, it was after that, but it wasn't that much longer after the leotards and the bright pinks and all the things. Um, But what you're talking about, and you talk about this in the book, so I wanted you to just expand on it a little bit, is this rapid glycogen depletion. So when you have that slope under the curve, you were talking about like very, very quick stimuli. Talk a little bit about what happens in the body when we rapidly deplete glycogen. Well, you store glycogen in two parts of the body. You store it in your liver and you store it in your muscles. And I'm assuming some of your listeners may not know what glycogen is. <laughs> so it's the way your body stores uh, sugar. And for each molecule of it or each gram of it, uh, more accurately, you have a couple grams of water. So one of the reasons if you have some carbs after workout, you get like, you see more volume in your muscle, you're storing swole. water. You also you're looks swole. like yeah. They get swollen. and yeah. it also looks like muffin top too, because that swole goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. So when you go on a keto diet, you lose about seven pounds in the first week. That's just the water that was stored with the carbs that your body doesn't have anymore. So any diet that says you could lose seven pounds in a week, um, probably is cutting carbs because you can do that. But a diet like my rapid fat loss protocol, I had a guy lose 75 pounds in 75 days. That wasn't water. Um, <laughs> that was fat and some swelling and inflammation in water. So What's interesting here uh, with glycogen is that you can deplete it from your muscles by using your muscles and you can deplete it from your liver in part by using your muscles, but your brain relies on the liver more than the muscles. So you will dump glycogen from the liver, but at night, for instance, if you can put glycogen into the liver and not the muscles, it'll help you better with sleep than having lots of glycogen stored in your muscles. Raw honey is interesting because raw honey will go to the liver preferentially over the muscles, whereas other forms of carbs like starches or sugars will go into the muscles and liver equally. So that's one of the sleep hacks I wrote about years ago that's now like in everyone's list of sleep hacks magically, which is raw honey before bedtime for those who need it because they wake up between 3 and 5 a.m. with erasing thoughts and lots of cortisol and adrenaline from a blood sugar stop. So we'll take that glycogen out of the conversation, but it's important to know about. We'll say, okay, you have a glycogen in your muscle. If you rapidly deplete it, instead of flipping around the pink dumbbells, although there is a way to use pink dumbbells and still deplete that. We'll talk about that later if you want. But if you're doing the normal pink dumbbell thing, well, you're not going to deplete glycogen and you're not going to get the physiological changes that come. And then what I found in Smarter Not Harder is that if you rapidly deplete it and then you relax so your heart rate comes back down, that's when you get the most gains. 
So it's the, it's the pause. It's the, so we have it, this. It's the pause, whether we're talking about muscles or in the case of cardio, um, you can do with cardio too. That's a sprint versus a jog. So you can do a sprint with a pink dumbbell or you can get on the treadmill and do the thing, or you could just get serious about it and say, you know, with the AI driven system that we're using at Upgrade Labs, you deplete glycogen as rapidly as you can. You can't do it on a normal treadmill or bike because you can't turn it up all the way fast enough. There is no ramp up. Right. So at a park, you could put on a weighted vest and like of a really, really slow walk for a minute just to get kind of warmed up. Not a jog, just slower than you want. I described like you ate two THC edibles. You're kind of just meandering and then just run with a 45 pound weight vest on. Run as fast as you can for 20 seconds like you're going to die. And then flop down on your back and do deep breathing exercises to relax and bring your heart rate down as soon as you can. Four seconds in, eight seconds out. Now, someone's going to try and give you CPR or call an ambulance, unfortunately, in a park because you're going to look pretty weird. But that is the algorithm for rapid glycogen depletion and then returning to baseline. What this mimics is what animals do in the wild. If you ever see like a, a lion or a tiger chase a deer in National Geographic, whatever the flavor of deer is in Africa, I forget the names. Uh, but what they do is if they get away, they literally stop shake. That's the adrenaline just getting dumped from the system and they eat grass and they're fine. And if we mimic that in our workout, we're strong and lean. And if instead like, Oh, something's hunting me for a whole hour. Cause I did a sprint and then I ran at 50%. Then I sprinted, then I ran at 50%. The body's like, I'm not going to adapt. Are you kidding me? I can't get away from the tiger. It keeps chasing me. So all the energy that would have gone into just quickly upgrading the system, I had enough protein. I had enough minerals. I had the right fatty acids. You know, I'm just going to fix that. That's rapid change versus I'll fix it a little bit. But man, every time it happens, I, I almost never get away from the tiger. I barely make it. I, I run until I'm about to die because working hard is what makes you strong. It just doesn't. That's not what the body likes. What is the frequency for that? Are you recommending? Because I know women that are six times a week, they're going to, you know, they're on the Peloton, they're at Orange Theory, F45, whatever it is, they're doing it four, five, six, seven times a week. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to talk about something. It, this is a, a human behavior and it's, a, it's a distributed or a, it's a, yeah, it's a distributed system phenomena. And so I studied, this, I used to build internet stuff like cloud computing things, and I studied AI in my undergrad. And there's something called a system equilibrium. And there are points in a system where um, it'll, it'll stable, it, it's stable, it'll rest there unless you do something to take it out of equilibrium. And one of the things in economic systems that's really scary is that the equilibrium where you make the most money is this business model. You tell people, that your product solves a problem when it causes the problem. Diet soda, it makes you fat. But since it's diet soda, if it makes you fat, you're gonna keep buying it all the time, the way I did when I was 300 pounds, right? So you make way more money. But if I had diet soda that worked after six weeks of drinking it, I wouldn't wanna drink it anymore and I'd make less money. So is it possible that the gym industry has done the same thing? Not consciously. There's no evil overlord like Fauci trying to tell you you have to go to the gym six times a week because it'll make you tired and a little bit puffy because your cortisol is too high and your hormones will be off and you'll be constantly struggling. No, they don't tell you that. But imagine if you just went to the gym once a week and it worked and you had your energy and you had your cardio and you had your focus and you liked how you looked in the mirror. 
would you do that? Okay, my bet is that we're smart enough to do that. That's my bet on Upgrade Labs. By the way, my bet on Bulletproof was that people were smart enough to spend more on a protein bar with real protein, <laughs> grass-fed collagen protein and MCT oil instead of canola oil. It's a $100 million plus company today. So I just believe in humans. I believe we're smart. I believe we don't like to waste our time. We don't like to waste our energy. And we get pissed when we're deceived, even if it's by a system. So take the drugs that cause enough side effects to need more drugs, highly profitable. Drink the diet soda that makes you fat, so you'll drink more diet soda, highly profitable. Go to the gym six times a week and pay for each session. And you're always struggling, it doesn't work. Oh, let's give you some kale and wonder why it never works, which means you maximize your spend. It's not evil causing this, it's just this fundamental belief that if I work hard, I'll get results. The reality is that if you test it, working hard is not getting results. Working smart gets results. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. Working hard burns you out. And unless you're getting results, you're going to be running as hard as you can. The psychology behind that is really interesting. You want to go into that? Yeah, I was going to say there's a really huge intersection here with psychology and what our cultural, you know, we've been talking about working harder and like the okay. shame and the guilt. Like, I, de- yes, go there. You, you, you would know this better than most because you were a fitness instructor, right? Okay. I mentioned earlier that our bodies are lazy and they're set that way. Just eat more, use less energy in case there's a famine. Like This is what's killed all kinds of life for two billion years. Since our system that's faster wants to do that, we've developed all of these coping mechanisms as the humans who sit inside our meat operating system. And one of them is we build habits. Well, since I know my body's lazy, I can do a habit, which means I don't have to think about it. So we, we do habits that create overtraining. Like I'm going to wake up every morning, do 75 hard. I'm like, good God, you want to overtrain and like Make yourself. That's tw- that's look- a twice a day freaking program, by the way. Seven. It's that, like twice a day for seventy five days. It's just unkind. Yeah. And by the time you're done with that, you're going to be so overtrained and worked out and probably injured. Yeah. And you're if you're a woman, your cycle's going to be off. If you're a guy, yeah. you may not have a kickstand in the morning. So that that is not good for you. But you will probably lose weight unless you have a dysfunctional metabolism like I did. I would have just wrecked myself and not lost weight on that when I I was younger. So. Habit is one thing. And then we use shame. Your coaches in high school, your teachers, your parents, your churches. Don't be lazy. The early bird catches the worm. So the very idea that we might be lazy, we actually have this huge like PTSD about, about it. Like this shame. Dude, newsflash, your meat is lazy. Your body doesn't want to do it. And your body controls how you see the world. It gets to pick what you can see. You don't see the third of a second delay between... When I clap my hands, it's instant, except 
I can show you with the electricity. I run a neuroscience clinic. We know what your brain does. And it takes about a third of a second before the brain gets a signal that there is sound, even though the body already knew. And, and Stephanie, you and I don't see the little dime-sized blind spot in the middle of each eye. No, our body edits it out of our awareness. And it edits out how good exercise is for you. And it edits out uh, how bad the couch is for you. And th- that way, your feelings about this are that you should do one thing. And if, and if you feel a desire for the couch or a desire to not go to the gym, instead of saying, oh, that's just my body doing its thing, we go, oh, man, I'm such a bad person. <sighs> I wish I just wanted to go to the gym. I should want to go to the gym. And all this judgments, all these shame and things like that. So I'm just going to tell you, that's normal and healthy. Of course, you don't want to go to the gym. You also don't want to plow the field using just a hoe. And it's okay to use a tractor to plow the field. And that's actually a lot better. Why would you not use a tractor to go to the gym? Because we have a religious belief and a shame-based belief that working harder gets us results. And I prove it over and over and over in Smarter Not Harder that working hard does not get you results. It gets you tired. What I want you to do is take your ability to work hard and use tools. And now you can do 10 hard things while working hard. Is my life an example of that? I don't know. I have eight companies. I've built a $100 million company. I have 300 and something million downloads on my podcast. And Smarter Not Harder will be my fifth New York Times bestseller. It's because I'm lazier than fuck, Stephanie. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I'm good. It's because I'm so lazy. And I want the tools to allow hard workers like you and me to actually be lazy so that every ounce of hard work actually builds a muscle actually gives you VO2 max. And all the other hard work you didn't waste in the gym, you can waste on parenting, on meditation, on anything that matters. That's why I'm kind of passionate about this, if you can't tell. Yeah. I mean, what you're really describing is like exponential growth, right? If you can really minimize, if you can minimize the input, but maximize the output and then compound that over time, you know, the, the the output is the eight companies, the hundred mil in revenue, the impact, you know, that you're trying to uh, affect on the world. And 8% body fat in 15 minutes a week. And I'm never hungry. Oh, and I laugh at plant-based proteins, just to be really clear. Sure, I've tried. It doesn't work on plant-based proteins. You want to be always hungry? Eat plant-based proteins. I am not hungry anymore. I eat a ribeye every day. All right. So let's actually, let's come back in the book to, you mentioned plant-based proteins. I want to, I want to continue to dive into some of the areas uh, in the book that you talk about, foods that slow us down. Um, so I've had a couple of people on the show talk about, say, lectins, uh, phytic acid, oxalates. I would love for us mm-hmm. to talk about this as well. One of the sure. things that I took up in the pandemic, never did it before, was sourdough bread. Um, but I will say that, um, I import my wheat. So I go to the little Italy and then I, I, I uh, buy the flour that they, that they bring in from Italy. And I always find that whenever I make that sourdough bread, I don't have any, we'll politely call it GI distress, right? So no, no distension, no kind of trouble metabolizing it. No, no food babies. No food, no food babies. Exactly. Exactly. Talk to us a little bit about phytic acid, sure. where it's found, and then, um, and then how we can uh, circumvent it if we, if we still, let's say, insist on consuming things like okay. grains and su- uh, uh, nuts and seeds. Chapter one of the Bulletproof Diet a dozen years ago talked about oxalates, lectins, phytic acid, omega-6 fats, and histamines in food. And since that time, there's been books written about each of those, and those are becoming parts of biohacking parts of the world. And I just wanted to shine a light on those, but I feel like I, I didn't do a great job 
on phytic acid because you will feel a lectin because uh, at least I do, I'm sensitive to nightshades. So when I eat even a little bit of it, I get skin issues and then I have joint pain, like especially upper back pain for, for quite a while. It's just not worth it even though I love spicy food. So you'll also feel oxalates. Um, once you know what you're feeling, you eat that raw spinach, you get weird gritty stuff on the back of your teeth and the next morning your low back hurts when you wake up and you don't know that's why it is, but you feel it. Phytic acid is something that you don't feel right away. What it does is it sticks to minerals in your food, including even animal proteins. If you eat phytic acid from plants with animal proteins, you won't get the minerals. It'll even strip minerals out of your cells and out of your bones. And it's such a problem that even in animals that can handle phytic acid, like cows and sheep, and I say this as a farmer of regenerative agriculture farm, uh, or, or sheep and pigs and cows and chickens, when farmers use grains or corn that contain phytic acid or oats, they actually measure the levels of phytic acid because even animals that can digest phytic acid, they hit a limit. And as soon as they do, they start getting weak bones, their hooves start falling off and bad things happen. So what is phytic acid doing? It's a plant defense compound that makes sure you don't get the minerals from the plants. And when you eat it, it weakens you. This is beautiful from the plant's perspective. Like, hey, you might eat some of me, but if you eat too much of me, you're going to die. Right. And that's a pretty healthy equilibrium in nature. So some plants are meant to be eaten by some species. And I'll tell you the ones with phytic acid aren't meant to be eaten by humans because we don't make phytase, which breaks down phytic acid. There's a loophole to that. Humans can make a very small amount of it if we eat a very high phytic acid diet, but we don't make nearly enough. And we, we turn off our production um, unless we're eating just masses of oatmeal all the time or something. And then it, you're still always depleted. So when I was a vegan, I believed this thing um, that, okay, I'm getting all these minerals in my plants. The presence of the mineral equals absorption of the mineral. And that's bullshit. The presence of the mineral means nothing. It, that's like saying, oh, I'm going to have sex. I'll get pregnant. I, I'm just going to ignore the fact there was a condom in the way. Okay. <laughs> like that would block it, right? Well, you can look at phytic acid as a condom for plant minerals. It is not going to get into your cells. So you could strip I think that off we just the condom. I think we have the new T-shirt, by the way. I think that, <laughs> I think that that's the T-shirt. Phytic acid is I the I just condom. made that up, but yeah. it's really funny. <laughs> uh, I wish I would have thought to put that in the book because I would have. Darn. Mm. Um, and it's it's really funny because visually, it just drives me crazy. Even the, the aggregate nutrient density index, the Andy people um, who are saying, well, you know, you should have something it has no calories and tons of, of minerals and other nutrients, then it's good for you. They don't notice if there's also a shovel full of cyanide and arsenic because, well, those weren't calories. We didn't care. So what I'm looking at uh, with all this stuff is I, I want you to be healthy uh, and I want you to feel good. And it's just really important to understand that phytic acid comes from whole foods, like whole grains. It comes from nuts and it comes from seeds. The paleo crowd uh, which I set out to disrupt with the whole bulletproof approach was let's let's eat less of those and let's do cyclical keto with clean fats instead of just eating tons of nuts and seeds all the time. What you will do if you eat nuts and seeds, even if you're eating a ribeye and some liver every day, is you just won't absorb them. So you could sprout them, which helps. You could take a phytase enzyme, which does help. Um, but your best bet is to do what you did with sourdough. Number one, you get European wheat, which is at least up until now, not sprayed with glyphosate. 
Glyphosate is a mineral chelator like phytic acid. It will stick to the minerals in wheat and stop you and stop the wheat from using the minerals. The reason American wheat is not edible anymore is that about two weeks before harvest, they spray the entire crop with glyphosate to kill the plants. And it does that by binding minerals. The plants, since they're dying, they put a last burst of energy into their babies for the next generation. And then the wheat ripens a little bit more quickly. And now you have wheat covered in mineral chelating glyphosate, which is one of the four or five ways it harms humans. Uh, and then you eat that and it, it wrecks your gut and it wrecks your your fascia by sticking into the glycine receptor uh, in the body. So uh, what I think you want to do is look at, okay, you want to eat something that's delicious. Yes, sourdough is a good way to do it. What you would do if you wanted to be the most effective, by the way, you don't need this, but if you just like grains, rye has a lot less phytic acid than wheat. So you would get European rye and you would ferment it because fermentation will also break down phytic acid. And I talk about this. It's only one chapter where I talk about phytates and minerals and stuff in Smarter Not Harder. You won't get benefits from a workout. You won't get benefits from meditation. You don't get benefits from working hard if you don't have the minerals to make the enzymes that allow the body to fold proteins and make ATP. So I just want people to be mineral sufficient. In fact, the other thing we haven't talked about, assuming, okay, sourdough's, sourdough rye is your winner if you're going to do it, followed by sourdough wheat, but not whole wheat, because the fiber in the outside of the grain isn't worth it, given that it's packaged with all of the anti-nutrients. So use white flour and make sourdough and make sure it's European flour, and that's your best source of grain-based carbs, um, although not as good as white rice because there's no gluten in there. Yeah, I love um, so white I love rice. White rice you can do yeah. something similar. I also find, um, and this is uh, an observation. I know, I know you touch you touch on milk in the book as well. I don't typically have milk products. I I, I have sheep milk. There's a place that I'll uh, that yeah. I'll go and get sheep milk uh, in Toronto. There's one shop <laughs> that I have to go across town to get my sheep milk. But when I'm in Europe and I have, let's say, a gelato or something like that, I mean, it's it probably in Italy. I don't have the same, we'll call it, what did you call them? Food babies, food babies, <laughs> you know, the GI distress that I have here. So I don't consume ice cream here. I don't consume dairy here because I find it very aggravating. My cappuccinos are made with sheep milk. Like I, you know, whenever I have a cappuccino, Dang. it's. If yeah. I could get fresh sheep milk, I would do that. I don't react to sheep's milk. In fact, in my hierarchy of milks, sheep milk yeah. is, is second only to camel milk in terms of compatibility camel with humans. Milk. Yeah. So I'm like sheep milk is, milk. Mm. so camel's best, then sheep is the next best, then goat comes after that. And then mm. after that is raw A2 cow dairy. Mm -hmm. And then after that is like the very worst of all, which is A1 grain and corn and soy fed industrial uh, milk. That's just really not that good for you. Right. Um, but who knows? In fact, I do know there are ways you can process industrial milk just like you can process plants. If you can make a plant protein out of beans, even though it's not gonna be very good for you, um, you can also take milk and process it to make almost anything you want out of it. And there are good sub fractions of milk that won't necessarily piss off your body. And is it more important to avoid the cow's milk, like the A1 cows, let's say? I know that there are some farms, I have a farm share um, where the farm will send me uh, vegetables and fruits every couple of weeks, sometimes you can also buy parts of a cow because unpasteurized milk, 
at least in Ontario at the time of this recording, is still technically illegal, but you can own part of the cow. And therefore, if you have ownership in the cow, that's sort of the loophole to allow well, that, you to- That's okay. Um, yeah. Just as someone who lived in Canada for 12 years, no one actually listens to the government in Canada anymore. They lost le- their legitimacy. They, there's actually no leadership in Canada right now at all. Yes, like agreed. there's people who pretend like they're governor, because right. they're governing or something, but they're not. So people mm-hmm. just ignore them and just drive their trucks wherever they want. It's actually kind of laughable because Canadians are so polite. Um, that they, they just politely ignore the people in power and they have their grass fed milk. It's the same thing on Vancouver Island, same thing in British Columbia. The entire country buys grass fed milk. It just ignores the government politely. Thank okay. you, Canada. Thank you, Canada. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do that. Yes. And while you're at it, eat the cow after you drink the milk. You'll be fine. Absolutely. Let's, let's touch on oxalates and lectins. Um, I had, okay. uh, Dr. Gundry on the show who uh, wrote a book on lectins, very, uh, very likely inspired from your work as well from the Bulletproof. He's a good friend. I'm sure I helped to put it in our consciousness. He's also like a leader in robotic surgery. The guy's an absolute stud. And for a cardiothoracic surgeon to start talking about lectins, wow. (laughs) Like that that takes a huge set of balls. So I have a lot of respect uh, for Dr. Gundry. And yeah, he did write a whole book on lectins. Uh, and yes, I, I maybe I inspired it, maybe I didn't, I don't know. But I think I made a mistake when I said, look, there's these five things in plants that are messing with you. You have to figure out which ones are your problem. So like Stephanie, you may be able to eat a bowl of raw spinach every other day. I don't think it's good for you, but it probably doesn't give you pain the way it gives me pain. Um, and so like oxalates, which is what that comes from or from kale, that is one part of it. And you need to know, is oxalate a problem for you? And what would you do about it if it was? And then for other people, where I would say I disagree with Dr. Gundry a little bit is that not all lectins are bad. Your body makes a thousand different kinds of lectin every day. It just as a normal part, all they are is proteins that stick to sugars. It's just there are certain kinds of proteins that stick to certain kinds of sugars that you may make genetically. I make the kind of sugar on my cartilage that exactly attaches to the nightshade type of, of lectin, the things you'd find in deadly belladonna or an eggplant or potatoes. Like I would love to eat potatoes. They're a great source of starch if you're not lectin sensitive. My daughter eats potatoes. My son and I don't because when we eat them, our necks hurt and our knees hurt and life is not nearly as good when you're in pain all the time. So lectins aren't bad. The lectins that make you weak are bad and you got to sort through all of them, but I don't think eliminating all of them permanently is the solution. And even when you pressure cook them, because I remember, for example, my grandmother would, whenever she would prepare, let's say lentils or chickpeas, um, there would, she would either soak them or there would be this like silver thing uh, that she would put on the, this pressure cooker that she would have on the stove that she would cook them and, or pressure cook them and then, and then prepare them the way that she wanted to. You can, for some lectins, use heat and pressure to break them down, but not all of them. So you can throw a jalapeno in there with those beans and pressure cook it. Those lectins are going to be just fine, right? Because they're different proteins. So some proteins, uh, actually every protein will denature. In other words, it'll, it'll fold or unfold um, at a certain uh, pressure and heat point. And if you look even at something like quinoa, Quinoa is peasant food in Peru. I've been there a couple of times. Unfortunately, now it's not peasant food anymore because um, basically hippie vegans in the U.S. are are stealing all of it from the locals. It's a subsistence crop, and now it's all getting sold by big multinationals, and they're like, I guess, they'll eat more corn. 
but when they would cook it, they would ferment it for several days uh, or you have to pressure cook it. And you go to these ridiculous, um, you know, restaurants, the kind I used to go to, and they just boil a little bit of quinoa like it's rice and throw it on there. And, you know, the next day you're just farting up a storm and, and like, what is going on here? Well, you got a big lectin dose because the food wasn't prepared properly. How many restaurants pressure cook their beans? They don't care if you fart when you're done eating. Right. That's why you to pay the bill. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I would just say, um, if you're going to eat those inferior quality subsistence foods that are there to get us through the dark winter until we can catch an animal, you can do it, but don't tell yourself that it's the healthiest thing you can do. You have to de- take out a whole bunch of toxins to even make it edible. Whereas if you just took a big old bite of cow, there's no toxins to take out. Huh. It's almost like eating less toxic food is better for humans. I mean, I know it's radical to say. Fancy that. Sorry, vegans. Yeah. And you, there was a big part in the book where you were talking about minerals. And so- Ooh, yeah. Yeah. What would you okay. like people to know about minerals? I felt kind of- kind of bad writing that part of the book. So I'm always attracted to like nootropics and I've formulated a bunch of, of advanced things for mitochondrial function and all that, but it's the least sexy, least interesting part of, of the world of nutrients. But so many people now are deficient in minerals uh, in part because we've stripped our soil because of glyphosate uh, and because we're eating a lot more of these whole foods that we were convinced were healthy. So we're now mineral depleted. And the whole point behind Smarter Not Harder is that, look, I just want you to do the minimum thing that's going to get you the results. If you don't have two important factors in your body, you won't get results even if you work out. You'll get some, but you won't get as much as you should. And one of them is just good old-fashioned macro minerals. It takes three capsules to get enough minerals every day. And I talk about how important that is. So you got to get your minerals. You also have to get trace and ultra trace minerals. And that's why my new coffee brand is called Danger Coffee. You can go to dangercoffee.com. And Danger Coffee has a very high dose of trace minerals in it. So that when you drink your coffee, you're getting your, your minerals. Enough to overcome, are you guys ready for this? There is a small amount of phytic acid, very small, but there is some in coffee. No. So it's <laughs> no. It, like we can tolerate a small amount of it. Of you course. just don't want a lot of it. And so even if I there was a say, lot, even if there was a lot, I'm still not giving uh, up coffee. Like I'm going to find would, the coffee I that take, I can drink. Yeah. I would take two pounds of phytase, <laughs> the enzyme with right. a cup of coffee. If I had to, to get my coffee, I'm with you. Yeah. I, so I just want people to know when you're, uh, when you're getting your trace minerals, everything in your body works better. And so when you drink a cup of danger coffee, you're getting electrolytes and more than 50 trace minerals. And that's important because you're not getting that in your diet anymore. So if you get your minerals in, you're still not done yet. And this is the other problem with plant-based proteins. There's something called vitamin Dake, and you can go to vitamin Dake, D-A-K-E.com. And I'll show you how I do it. But vitamin Dake is a combination of animal-based fat-soluble vitamins. And the reason that I write about, like the least sexy thing is vitamin D, like like when I started blogging a dozen years ago, vitamin D awareness was a big thing. And, and I shared so much about it. Everyone knows, even through the pandemic, when they tried to tell us it didn't work, everyone knows vitamin D has all kinds of good effects on the you body. You could get kicked off of Instagram for saying that two years ago, for saying it vitamin was, D is, is an important uh, cofactor for the immune system. That was a very radical statement. It, it was weird because we've been saying it for like 10 years before that without it being a problem. It's almost like there was censorship, but I mean, that would be wrong. So of course we couldn't have had censorship. Impossible. Just don't ask Elon in the Twitter files, right? Right. So (laughs) uh, anyhow, vitamin Dake, 
you will not put minerals into your cells unless you have enough vitamin D and vitamin A and vitamin K and vitamin E. Vitamin E is available from plants and animals. It's the only one. You can get like gamma tocotrienols and things like that. So I put them all into a pill and it costs about 20 bucks a month. So it's you get like 60 day supply and it's it's under $40. But vitamindake.com, I, I talk about, you know, here's how you get it. If you have minerals and you have vitamin dake, they, that will put the minerals into the right place in the right cells. And then you'll have cells that can respond to the environment at full power. And I, I just, I wanted to write about all the sexy stuff. And yeah, I wrote about like herbs for sex and sleep and all that in the book. It's a small amount. This is a book about like what to do to get a specific result. And it's, it's in five big things. It's not about sleep or sex. Those aren't the big five. Those are side effects of getting your muscles working, side effects of helping your stress response or helping your brain or whatever. But I just feel like none of the biohacks are worth doing. None of the expensive anti-aging supplements, even things like NAD that I, I'm a fan of, unless you've got <laughs> your macro minerals and your trace minerals and your vitamin D, it doesn't work very well. So get those up first. If you only have 20 bucks a month, it's vitamin D. If you have, you know, 40 bucks a month plus trace minerals, and you should do that before you go to Pizza Hut. You really should. It'll pay off in a way you can't even imagine. Yeah. And it it has so many far reaching, you know, you talk about magnesium and in the book, you talk about sodium and potassium, copper. And in my experience, um, even people who live in Austin, in Florida, you can be vitamin D deficient. Like we've done, it doesn't matter. It, I mean, yet it does matter that you're able to get sunshine, but even in, uh, you know, people who live in Miami, let's say, or Tampa, I've seen labs where their vitamin D levels are not sufficient. So either they need more sunshine I, or they need to supplement with, uh, with vitamin D as well. I think you always find that in, in labs, uh, maybe always just 99% of the time. So I went a while ago, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to test this. I went to Hawaii for six weeks and I got four hours of sunshine a day. I actually got skin damage, uh, from the sun. <laughs> so my arms are not as nice as they were before. Uh, but I mean, I really, I got a nice dark tan. Uh, I don't wear sunglasses anyway. I've been one of the early guys talking about, you know, how you need sunshine, including UVB in your eyes. And I did this and I measured my vitamin D levels and I was at like 35 and I want to be at 70 to 90. Right. And I, I was just like, this doesn't work. And this was how many people can spend four hours a day in just swim shorts outside with sunshine. Now you live in Toronto. I lived in BC. Yeah. And when you're in Miami or where I am in Austin now, there's, there's actually sunshine, but I'm indoors under studio lighting right now. And so are you. So it is a fool's errand to get your sunshine from only mother nature because you will spend all day outside and it still likely won't work. Uh, and you will get sun damage if you get that much sun. So what do we do? We take vitamin D and then we use real sunshine to activate the vitamin D. But if you only take vitamin D, you'll drive tissue calcification, which you don't want. You get calcified arteries. It's still better to have just vitamin D, but if you were to pair it with vitamin K2, that's going to keep that problem from happening. And if you take vitamin A with it, vitamin A helps to keep zinc and iodine in cells. And then you take vitamin E, which works, at least if it's the right form, as an antioxidant to improve mitochondrial function and also has a mineral binding effect. This is like the, the recipe that allows minerals to go where they're supposed to be. And then you turn on the recipe, you bake the recipe in the sun. It takes 20 minutes of sunshine on most of your skin to sulfate the vitamin D. So you make vitamin D sulfate out of it. 
And if you're in Canada, um, which lots of your listeners are, I imagine, you're going to need a UVB tanning lamp. That's what I had. So when I was up there during winter, I'd spend five minutes in front of that light and that would activate that stuff. It's like having a, a little toaster oven <laughs> for your vitamin D. And I would also say magnesium is also important too, particularly, so I know that in the book you didn't necessarily delineate between um, men and women because I think a lot of the principles in the book actually apply equally to men and women. But in the past you have, when we, we had you on for uh, your fasting book. I, we were I always mention when there's there's major differences um, but I don't think the the on the instant on instant off uh, principle it it's not different for men and women, but training volumes are different. And magnesium need are you finding that women need more magnesium? Um, all the time or just during certain types of the cycle? Yeah, certain types, certain times in the cycle for sure. So typically like a nice baseline is like maybe 400, 500 milligrams and then up to a gram if they can tolerate it uh, in their luteal phase, like in the second half of their cycle Mm. because the body is just sort of preferentially throwing things like magnesium and selenium and zinc and caught all the things into the endometrial mm-hmm. lining. Um, I do like more mineral supplementation typically in the luteal phase than in the follicular well, phase. Well, let me ask you this. And this is why I didn't write about that. It is that if you're consistently at high mineral supplementation enough to support all the phases, including the phases where you have the heaviest mineral demand, then during the times when you're not putting your biological energy into building uh, uterine lining, you'd put it into building muscles. So it feels like backing off on magnesium isn't a good idea ever. As long, like you should take as much as you can tolerate, and you should always be on that if you're a woman. I would, I would, I mean, I would generally agree with that. So it's usually we want to be taking magnesium up to tolerance. So uh, someone saying, okay, so now I'm starting to get like loose stools, or I'm getting distension, or um, uh, cramping. And then, uh, we would up it usually as a sort of prophylactic in the luteal phase. So I usually increase it in the luteal phase, but then in that follicular phase, it's like as much as you can possibly tolerate and a bare minimum, like I said, 400 to 500, um, migs. And then if we can get higher, then we do higher. There's one, uh, one part of the book where I did go into like really meaningful differences uh, for women and men around minerals and it's around iron and copper. So women have a much higher chance of having anemia um, because you have a monthly cycle. And a lot of times they're even getting iron infusions, but what's really lacking, especially in mainstream medicine, is an understanding of copper. For instance, if you're copper sufficient, which is hard to do, you'll need less magnesium. So that 400 milligrams might be your max if you have enough copper. And if you're deficient in copper, you might need a gram of magnesium. Mm. And even more interestingly, a lot of times anemia is caused because you don't have enough copper to use the iron. So you didn't need more iron. You needed copper to be able to turn on your ability to use the iron. So there are tons of women, and this is part of the minerals part of the book, where copper, you can have copper toxicity, but if you're copper deficient, nothing's going to work right. Like it's a very, very fundamental metal used in all sorts of enzyme processes in the body. Yeah, so I talk about ways to get zinc, copper. Like if you're taking zinc that uses yeah. the same sort of ion channel as well, you have to be very careful about, you know, copper and copper and zinc together. They use the same sort of transporter. So we have to be making sure that you're balancing that out. Do you have any friends who got gray hair during the pandemic? Uh, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Now we like to tell ourselves that it was stress, right? I would, I would assume so. I think a lot of people were very stressed out during that time. I don't think that's why, because people, people do get gray hair from stress. It's one of the, one of the causes, but
But one of the major causes is copper deficiency. What supplement brand didn't add, didn't add zinc to everything? So if you were taking your normal supplements and a few others, you were probably getting 50, maybe even 70 milligrams of zinc, which is way too much. And high zinc intake without high copper intake will absolutely, in studies, deplete copper. So we created a wave of copper deficiency, and copper is required for collagen synthesis. So if you got gray hair and crepey skin during the pandemic, yes, you should blame the government and replace it. But you also might want to back off on zinc a little bit and increase your copper yeah, and see if you can maybe turn those hairs brown again. Like 50 megs of zinc is like an acute, you take that acutely. If you are, maybe you suspect you're getting ill, you sort of take it one or two or three days and that's- It's insane. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It'll also drop your, um, it'll also drop your blood sugar uh, when you take that much of it. So you can get hypoglycemia from it. And I'm a fan of zinc. Most people are zinc deficient, at least they were before the pandemic. And then given that there's all these weird studies that say zinc and vitamin D reduce all viral infections. Um, and we, we talked about those, we whispered about them when no, no one was, was watching. Mm-hmm. So I just think a lot of this is caused by copper. So, or it's caused by lack of copper. So when you read the one chapter on how to use minerals so that you have the raw ingredients for the biohacks in the book to work, I talk about that, and especially for women, it's about the copper. I'm a fan of copper orotate, but if you if you wanted to really maximize absorption, you take it away from the other things. And probably the most effective and most expensive form of copper now is copper niacin, where it's bound to a copper molecule, a brand called Mitosynergy uh, makes that. And that works exceptionally well to help get copper back in, especially for women, works for men too. But I think that if you're having anemia issues right away, you need to get on copper and you might be amazed at how it wasn't an iron deficiency at all. I want to shift a little bit just in the time that we have left towards the end of the book, really appreciated the smarter, not harder approach to um, forgiveness and spirituality. And I know that it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, maybe a hard left, maybe not from minerals and exercise and cardio, but it really is when you think about the verticals of health, it's, you know, physical health, chemical health, and emotional and spiritual health. And I really loved, and it was very obvious, uh, a lot of the work that you've done, um, 40 years of Zen, certainly, and your um, process around forgiveness. And I wondered if you might walk us through a couple of concepts around what it means to be smarter, not harder, uh, you know, to work smarter, not harder in the, in the context of emotional health, forgiveness, releasing anger, um, and fear. The, The reason that smarter, not harder is in the order it is, is that if you can fix your cells so they work better, all of the physical changes are easier. And when you get your energy back, you get your physical changes back and you have that energy in your brain, you're going to sit there and go, why am I so anxious right now? And the anxiety, maybe it used to come from being mineral deficient. That'll cause anxiety. And then you'll blame someone around you for the fact that you feel anxiety, even though it's just maybe too many beans, <laughs> right? Like this actually happens. And if you don't believe me, just look at vegans with a lot of beans, just saying, a lot of anxiety there. So I believe that much of that comes from mineral deficiency. But let's say that you've addressed that and like, you know, my body's working right. What's next? Well, what's next is you got to work on yourself. So this is the next level up from the meat operating system. Uh, now you're like, okay. Um, why am I getting triggered all the time? And if you're getting triggered all the time, you got to ask yourself, what's in your gun? 
Like, what are you loaded with? Because if someone can trigger you, you are walking around with explosives inside of you. And if you really care about the smarter, not harder thing, why would you go to the, the biological and electrical expense of carrying around a whole bunch of triggers that don't serve you? It's like turning on every notification on your phone. You can't use your phone because it's bing, bing, bing. For a lot of us, our nervous system is doing that. And we do it if our body is malnourished or overtrained or overstressed. We do it from emotional stress. And we oftentimes do it for no rational reason from our mind's perspective. But from your body's perspective, it is rational. Your body is constantly scanning for patterns that might be a threat, just like it's making the couch look really attractive. So you don't consciously tell your body what to do in order to find those threats. Some of it we just know. If it looks like a tiger or a snake, we, we just don't like snakes. And that's because our body, well, enough humans have died of those that we just have a, a revulsion for that. But what about that time you were bullied? And I find this insanely common, especially in MMA and in bodybuilders, right? Um, and this is, I never felt safe when I was young. So now I'm gonna have enough muscle. I'm gonna be invincible. I can kill anyone in the room. That's my armor. Okay, that, that's just a stress response, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's different than saying, I'm gonna build this body as like a sculpture, as a beautiful body because I love it and because it makes me feel good. And because every time I look this way, man, the vibe is so different, right? And you get to pick one of those vibes. One of them, you're moving towards something wonderful. And the other one is you're running away from something scary. What I'm, I'm suggesting in Smarter Not Harder, and this is based on having spent you know, five days with 1,500 high-performing entrepreneurs and celebrities and pro athletes at 40 Years of Zen, my neuroscience clinic, I teach this process with lie detectors on the head. And there is a way to go in and turn off the notifications in the body so you don't waste the electricity on them anymore. And then you can have your focus the way you want. So let's go through an example um, of something like this. Um, let's say that you're, uh, let's say that I'm triggered. I'm not anymore, but I used to be, so I can still do this. Let's say that I'm triggered by, I don't know, Alan Aragon or um, Brad Schoenfield and the way that they attack their opponents instead of being curious about science, right? And that's actually a form of bullying. So like th these are things like EMDR could help those guys, right? But let's say I'm triggered by it. And so I see that and I just want to jump in and like spend the next 10 years of my life in online debates saying the same thing back and forth and asking for sources, which is pretty much what's going on in those communities. It's intellectual bullying, right? So let's say I'm triggered by that. I'm like, well, okay. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to run through the reset process that's in Smarter, Not Harder. And in the reset process, first thing you do is you recognize that you have a trigger and you're triggered. And then you sit down and you're meditating. Or if you're with me, you're doing electrodes on your head. And you're like, what's the first time I felt that sensation in my body that I feel right now? And it'll probably be that time you were bullied in fifth grade and your little Johnny punched you in the face or made fun of you or whatever it is. Like, oh, that's kind of weird. So then instead of running the reset process from 40 Years of Zen, on Alan um, or on Brad or in any of the other sort of like, you know, I'm smart. And if you don't agree with what I say, you're dumb kind of crowd. Then what you do is you say, all right, I'm going to forgive little Johnny because I feel the same way with these, with these adult bullies as I did with the child bully. So I'm going to sit down I'm going to tap into the sensation I had. And then I'm going to literally in my mind's eye, I'm going to sit little Johnny down and I'm going to say, here's what you did to me. And here's how it made me feel. Here's the harm it caused. And I'm going to really feel that harm. You have to actually turn on the emotion of it. This is the hard part. That's why you can do it with a therapist or you can do it at 40 years of Zen or even something like EMDR can work if you're not going to do neurofeedback. You can do this by yourself at home though, which is powerful. 
And once you really felt it, like, man, that feels icky. Like, like, you know, I felt powerless or I felt judged or whatever it was. Then you look at little Johnny in your mind's eye and you go, I wonder what his parents were doing to him. I wonder why he's that way. And you end up developing a little bit of compassion for them. And to do that, you have to find gratitude first. So what's the one good thing that came out of little Johnny bullying you? Right? Well, you know, maybe you got tougher, whatever you, you pick something, it doesn't matter what it is, but for the, the meat operating system to actually turn off a notification. And that's all a trigger is, is a notification. What we've got to do is we've got to find one thing we're grateful for. It could be tiny. Like I'm grateful that little Johnny only broke one leg, not two. You win. Okay. You got gratitude. <laughs> okay. And then you actually forgive and forgiveness isn't it was okay what you did. It isn't calling little Johnny and saying, I forgive you. Forgiveness is just turning off the trigger. And it's actually a sensation you feel in your chest. And when you're done with that, magically, Brad and Alan can't trigger you anymore because your trigger wasn't them. They were echoing the behavior of a bully from fifth grade. And this is the hack. The first time you felt some emotion is the time you actually experienced the setting of the notification in your meat operating system. So, all I want you to do when you read Smarter Not Harder is to go through life with less wasted energy on everything you do. And if you're wasting all your energy on walking around feeling triggered all the time, well, that's not a very good job of being Smarter Not Harder. And I, I just didn't feel like it would be a complete book. Because <laughs> if we turn on all of your ability to make electricity in your body and you get lean and you've got muscles and you have tons of spare time and you're walking around constantly traumatized, you'll just be a bigger dick. And I don't want a world full of bigger dicks. I want a world full of dangerous people. By the way, that's why it's called danger coffee because who knows what you might do. The people who are full of danger are the people who are running at full power. They're unprogrammable. They're conscious and they choose to be kind and nice to each other even if they disagree. And we have a world full of people who are becoming kind of peaceful because they're just weak. They're malnourished. They're tired. They're beaten down. And I'm not going to stand for that. And I don't think you do either, Stephanie. So we're building a world full of dangerous people who choose to be nice to each other, but you probably shouldn't fuck around and find out with us either. Right. I love, I love that. And I think that if you're listening to this and you're saying, I don't, I don't know where I get triggered. Where are you most self-righteous? You know, where in your life are you most self-righteous about? And that would be a really good place to start. Um, so for, you know, the, the individuals that you've mentioned, or, you know, if you're online and you're like, God, I can't believe that this person like put this tweet out and now I'm offended, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I think that, um, that would be a good, uh, that would be a good place to start. (laughs) If you're offended instead of amused at that kind of behavior, um, then you've got a problem. And if you feel like you just have to answer it, you have a problem. Um, the reality is that, you can ignore anyone online, even if they come and they try and they try and bother you. And I had to do a lot of this work, Stephanie. I was on the Rogan show three times, right? And companies that Joe owns were literally trying to steal my brand's name as well as, as my concepts. So Joe participated in character assassination for 18 months. I had 25,000 bullies coming to my uh, coming to my um, social pages and just completely screwing things up. It was it was crazy. And I had to do this kind of work and just realize, actually, this was just straight up bullying behavior. I've seen that before. Right. And I've said to you, uh, you know, we've had little conversations or little uh, comments um, on Instagram. Like, I really, yep. it's so apparent the the work that you've done in terms of forgiveness, in terms of love, in terms of letting things go so that they are not 
in your meat operating system uh, anymore. And you can sort of see what it is. You know, you can see the situation for what it is. It's not little Johnny from grade five again. It's just in this case, maybe someone stealing proprietary information and trying to call it their own, let's say. Um, yeah, that, that stuff happens a lot. And I mean, if I, if I went through the list of all the stuff that's happened as a result of becoming a really successful and well-known entrepreneur, there's been a lot of garbage. Uh, but to be able to sit with that, I had to go through and, and do all the deep work. And that's one of the reasons I opened 40 years of Zen because having my own um, company that has neuroscience, we have seven patents on how to do this now. <laughs> and it's like, you can, you can make yourself more resilient than ever before. And ultimately resilience comes from cells and minerals, and then a signal from the environment to be able to handle oxygen and food. And then it comes into nervous system regulation. And that's what we're talking about here. And that means becoming aware of your triggers and becoming, well, bulletproof or dangerous, whatever. Yeah, or dangerous. I love that. What a perfect place to pause our conversation. This has been just a delight. Smarter, not harder is now available everywhere. So we can find it at Barnes and Noble and we can find it at Amazon. And is there, and I've been making notes as we've been talking some of the websites. If you want to open up a franchise, we'll have that link in the show notes, uh, vitamindake.com, anywhere else that you'd like to direct people. Yeah, just go to daveasprey.com. There's lists, all the companies that I started that might be of interest. There's links to the book and all the special stuff for the book and all that. Or follow me on social and listen to the podcast, any of that kind of stuff. Just don't waste one minute of your time. Just only read the stuff you like. Wonderfully said. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks, Stephanie. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers, advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only.